My sense is that the education system has been dumbed down. I mean, what in your view has gone wrong? That education is betraying itself. The pandemic has highlighted this. Children have been through an awful lot of trauma um, in the last year. Ecological education focuses on bringing children and young people to physical, emotional, and cognitive well-being. You know, whenever there's monumental change like this, there's always um, the ability to, to create something new. So, good morning everyone, and uh, what good morning, good afternoon, good day, whatever time you're listening to this. We are incredibly lucky to have Natalie Bethesda with us. And um, I'm going to let Natalie introduce herself, but today we're going to have a discussion um, that I think is at the forefront of so many people's minds at the moment, whether you're a parent or not. And that is the health and well-being of the young people in our midst and um, what's going to be coming up for them as we go forward. Um, the last 15 months, 16 months has been um, huge in terms of young people's lives. And uh, Natalie is a specialist, having been a teacher, um, she's now going on and writing um, a PhD, going into a PhD. And we are so thrilled to be talking to her because her work is very closely aligned to ours. And um, she talks very much about ecological education. So Natalie, please, um, can you introduce yourself and give our viewers a little bit of your background? Yeah, thank you. It's great to be here and it's great to be feeling aligned to your own sort of mission, if you like. Um, I um, went into education and teaching late on um, and um, I was a teacher for 17 years, teacher and leader in schools in, in what are known as challenging circumstances in quite, you know, struggling communities. So I've always uh, taught in schools where uh, there, are, there are additional needs. Um, but I also attended such a school. Um, and as I left, I didn't have the enough qualifications. And so I've always taken a very different route and taken a very different perspective about what we need of and from education. Um, and as you've uh, just outlined, since I came out of teaching, um, which was 10 years ago now, when I awarded myself a gap year at the age of 50, um, <laughs> I'd intended to go back into teaching. Um, and actually I was going to change phase from secondary phase to primary phase and I hoped to go into primary leadership and then as I started looking at the application forms and the person's specification and it was all about how do you use data and uh, it was, it, I was completely alienated and and it triggered something else in me. Um, I um, came across a free school applicant group for a holistic provision. And I got involved with that. Um, and the most important um, 
thing that they were trying to offer to children was independent to become independent thinkers that's something that I experienced as being lacking or difficult to achieve through the mainstream education system at this point. I, I know that 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 was my experience as well because before I joined um, ANH, which is now going on for my goodness, I don't know, nearly uh, 17, 18 years. I, I was a university lecturer for 11 years. And I saw very quickly that the students coming in um, had a very different approach to education than I'd been taught to have. In, in, and one of the things that had seemed to have gone was, you know, the ability to reflect and critically evaluate and critically think. Yeah. So, do you, you know, the, my sense is that the education system um, has been dumbed down. I mean, what, what, what in your view has gone wrong? I would agree to some extent that uh, young people um, are not a kind of afforded the ability necessarily to think critically and to evaluate, like you said. I've made a few notes, so if you don't mind, I'll no, be... No, no, please go so, ahead. Absolutely. I mean, my, my headline statement would be that education is betraying itself. Um, and I think that the pandemic and has highlighted this, okay. Um, I think it's almost, and, and I think it's important to ask how we've got this, how we've come to this situation. The rhetoric, of course, as school leaders and school teachers is that it's all about standards and therefore school improvement that's you know that's that that accelerated as i was um working through the system and of course what that means is that schools are ranked according to tests and exam results yeah <laughs> it prompts parents to seek what they're after mm-hmm. uh, are the schools that give the best results it's a very competitive place for teachers, for parents, and therefore for children. So I'll tell you what prompted me, therefore, to write my little manifesto, Ecological Education and Sustainable Schooling. In 2017, I went to the launch of this little book here, mm-hmm. um, Beyond the Exam Factory. Now, on the stage, there were a variety of stakeholders. There was a parent, there was a head teacher, there were two academics, and there was a union leader or union official. The book itself has a foreword by Michael Rosen, who is the poet and educator. In the Q&A after, kind of the frustration that ecological education and sustainable schooling seeks to resolve reared its head. And, and I, I just asked them, given you know, this comprehensive range of expertise that's on this, on this stage, why they don't put their heads together 
and present a manifesto to the government, yeah, and and tell the government what is necessary. Obviously, that wasn't answered. And so ecological education and sustainable schooling was my response. Please tell us, because ecological education, that term really piqued our interest because um, our blueprint for health system sustainability is all based around, um, you know, the ecological terrain and an ecological approach to healthcare. So, you know, how does that work with education? Can you give us your kind of 90 second elevator pitch? (laughs) This one I have written down because, (laughs) you know, I wanted it to be as succinct as you asked. Ecological education focuses on bringing children and young people to physical, um, emotional and cognitive well-being so that they can make their unique contribution to community and adapt to the changing circumstances of their life events. That's perfect. That actually, that brings me out in shivers because it's what we want for all of our young people who are going to be the caretakers of this planet very soon. Um, And they've got a heck of a job to do. They do now. Given the way we have degraded it. Yes, yes. (laughs) And they're going to be the ones bringing in the new systems and creating everything and therefore we need to nurture their creativity and their well-being so that they can actually be the sovereign beings that you know they they should be really and um, and take the best decisions for everyone involved so can you tell us just a little bit more about it and i'm also really interested and i know our re- our viewers will be um about whether this is a concept that parents can get involved in if they've got um, children in a homeschooling program you know is it something that can be brought into that as well um the short answer to that is yes um and then I'd say, given that the child is at the centre of this style of education, um, it operates within the principle that probably you and I went to school, that teachers held and schools held, that teachers are in loci parentis, yeah? Yes. In place of the parent. When, we, when, when I went to school... That's how it felt teachers had in mind that, that they were, and, and the other, the African proverb, you know, that it takes a, a village to raise a child. Yes. Um, and so if the school was the village, you know, and, and the teachers each had that thought in no parentis. Um, so I'd suggest, you know, there are some teachers who see themselves in that way, but I would also, I fear that it's being trained out of them, trained out of them, which I guess is why when I talk about a, a different way of uh, developing teachers, I prefer that term, developing, and you can see my suggestions as to how that would work in ecological education and sustainable schooling, which you'll have a link to in the article. But if you look at um, the the poem, the Dorothy Nolt poem, Children Learn What They Live, which is also included in, in the manifesto, um, you're reminded that what children experience 
in the home is their foundational education. Um, and then further on um, in what I call a graduated pedagogy for presence, I explain how children's early years learning, wherever that is, that's in the home, in school, in nursery, whatever you want to call it, it's by imitation. Um, it therefore needs to be grounded in realities of everyday life. And, you know, certainly in some of the settings that I've explored and researched, that's exactly what happens. Um, so it's ideal to be carrying on in the home. So wherever that is, and it's gardening or planting up pots, it's helping with food preparation, it's laying the table, it's washing up. Um, it's drawing and crafting, it's playing, it's singing, you know, it's all those things. It's listening to and telling stories and being listened to. Um, so, but it, crucially, it's having those routines around these things of everyday life. Now, and this is where sometimes, uh, where we get it wrong in mainstream, it's not instructional necessarily so it's, it's it's not the adult you know telling them step by step what to do it is showing by example and the child showing by, by example the way to use tools and to find out how to do things for themselves because there's all that discovery for me seems to be missing these days. Yeah. And the other side of it is that um, it's also homogenous and there's no understanding that we're all individual and the children are very individual. Yeah. And so they have different requirements, they have different needs. And it just seems to be that if you, you know, everyone is fitted into this, you know, if you don't, you know, there's, there's some square pegs being fit, fitted into round holes is what it feels like to me. And, um, and you know, we're, we're, we're then, you know, seeing the fallout from that, you yeah. know, as a practitioner, I end up seeing the fallout from that, you know, later on. Yeah. Um, and and so obviously the um, the educational piece is you know is very important from a mental health standpoint as well and a whole sort of well being standpoint. As I say, it's a graduated pedagogy for presence. Now, I I took that term graduated response um, from um, like you um, after my gap year, I found myself. Um, teaching, lecturing, tutoring in um, a university. And I was lecturing on the special educational needs diploma. And um, so these were, this was a master's accreditation. And, you know, I, I was watching as what we seemed, what we've been doing in schools seemed to be manufacturing uh, I'll call it pathology, but certain sort of learning difficulties. So as I came out of schooling, I'd never heard of working memory syndrome and loss. And now, you know, a couple of years later, it's become a thing that Senkos, special educational need coordinators, are having to deal with. 
And so I, I, but I'd had that sort of intuition that I was watching children being made, you know, uh, pathologized, if you like, but also acquiring these learning difficulties through the way we were teaching them. So the graduated part came about from one of the ways that special education needs coordinators are asked to work. And that's how um, I, you start with the early years thinking about imitation. At primary, and again, this is something, you know, homeschooling can, uh, you know, easily is, is adapted. But at this point, it remains experiential. They're, much of their education should remain experiential. But here, it's, it, it, it becomes immersive. It should be immersive um, kind of experiences. So, um, and as we move on again, well, if I, I can ex explain that, the settings that I, I was in, you know, they did thematic learning a lot. Now, where... And I do think primary schools are taking that on again more and more because it had really Can become... you just explain what thematic learning is compared to obviously what, what is there at the moment? Well, it had become very much, um, you know, literacy skills, numeracy skills, drilling. Yes, okay. To the test. Mm -hmm. Um, and that um, has, you know, in some settings, not all settings, I have to say, um, but so thematic learning would be more around that you learn that your literacy, what you need from literacy through themes of interest. Um, okay. And in my... Um, um, at Ecological Education Manifesto, I've um, given a, a, a curriculum map that um, shows how, for example, the Waldorf curriculum works. And throughout schooling, there is what they call a main lesson. Mm -hmm. And that um, is blocked out in sort of four to six week Set, uh, periods and it's two hours at the start of the day okay but also that's after some physical activity right yeah fresh brain yeah. right <laughs> some um so you have a literacy block where you are through storytelling learning your letters and you learn your letters um, so they're almost characters, for example. So it's very, very different kind of um, way, and it it stays in your body. Well, it's much more our evolutionary norm. We've always learned through story. All the indigenous tribes—that's how their history is passed on to them. Yeah. So it's it's much more the way our brain works. Yeah. So it, I, I, we hold it. We 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 do. We then hang on to it. We remember the stories. I mean, you 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 know, we all remember our nursery rhymes. We all remember our fairy tales from our childhood. Yeah. So this is really fascinating. So, can you talk a little bit? Um, children, 
have been through an awful lot of trauma um, in the last year. Um, as a practitioner, um, I'm very um, aware and I work with brain inflammation, I work with early life trauma, I, I work with the end result of that as people are older. So I'm hugely aware of how trauma, when you're young, starts to erode your health as you get older. And, um, you know, masks, bubbles, social distancing, you know, being told that you're, you, you know, you're putting granny at risk, all of these things our traumas. I mean, can you talk a little bit about the mental health of our kids and how, you know, parents might be able to try and counteract some of what's been going on? I, uh, and fear, of course. And fear, fear. 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 Um, those things are almost, they're offensive to me. Yes. Um, and the idea that children are sitting in classrooms with masks on, that they can't have the usual interactions with each other and with the at their the adults that they that they are missing out on all of those facial and gestural expressions that are absolutely a part of our our communicative um signals um i i find that very disturbing. What I would say to parents, first and foremost, is whatever age group we're talking about, is don't cascade that fear and that and the pressure that schools are being put under. And um, so, make sure your home is the antidote, without a shadow of a doubt. Yes. So most of this would be about you demonstrating. Uh, the way by the way you behave and the and to show that you can adapt mm -hmm. and therefore that everything's going to be fine um so it's like actually when i heard when i hear about people trying to do exactly you know and the homeschooling that's been provided i just think why you know you you could now be teaching exactly the way I'm, I'm I'm suggesting you know let's let's find the things that you're interested in you could have put together beautiful scrapbooks you could have asked them to start writing diaries depending on their age you could have simply yeah and I'm, I'm, I'm sure lots of people have done that I think that's amazing I'm sorry for chipping in but you just um, brought to the forefront of my mind as well because you're talking about things that um that we used to do very naturally as children. I mean, I, I grew up in Africa. We spent a huge amount of time outdoors and we did do amazing things like that all the time. Lots of crafts. Um, we didn't have the digital world at all. Um, mm. And so what's your view about the impact of um, this complete focus on tech and digital and the fact that so much of this homeschooling for the children that could, and I mean, obviously, huge concerns for the kids that have been left behind because they don't have tech. But um, this all, what's your view on, you know, the effects of all this tech and on, on children? As a response, um, I, you know, I think it was uh, fine. So long as it was in the, in the backs of parents' minds that, right, they've had, well, Basically, I, I would choose to make sure that children were using it 
um, within a whole range and a menu of alternative uh, ways of doing it. I would have liked for, um, I, I won't talk about the pandemic because obviously we've, we've gone to it as a savior. Mm -hmm. So long as we come out of it as knowing that this is not the route we want to go down in the future. Mm. And, and that's my fear. Because there were there were lots of already kind of movements to say teachers can become redundant, schools aren't necessarily the best place for children. You know, when my son was in year eight a number of years ago, he came home and he said to me, and obviously he's a, a, a tech native, um, and he said, well, why do I need to go to school? I, I, if I need to learn anything, I'll just read it online. Now, that told me that the school was not delivering to him what he needed. Mm. And if I put it into really crude terms, he went into school in the top 5% of the population in the school in those crude and raw data terms. And he came out right in the middle, I would say, because, because he was certainly not inspired by what was going on. And this was a fairly, you know, satisfactory and a leafy lane school. So I would say, don't cascade the fear and the pressure. I would say, demonstrate the way you behave that that you can adapt and therefore they can adapt. Keep to your own principles and know what you want for your children. And then finally, it might also be about deciding what you want education to look like going forward. I think um, I think that's I think that's a, a very big subject area because we you know, part of what's happening with everything being raised to the ground, you know, whenever there's monumental change like this, there's always um, the ability to to create something new. And I do think that um, parents have got a choice. Um, there's there's many choice points that we've had put in front of us over, over this period, and education's got to be a big one. Um, I'm hugely excited by the work that you're doing. Um, I know that there's um, there are other initiatives out there as well that are, are, are exciting. And I just hope that, you know, parents are, are able to, to really look into that. I've, I've introduced you to the new school and to what Lucy Stevens is doing um, in the article. And uh, underneath this video, we're going to put links to everything so that people can go and have a, have a better look. And um, Natalie, before we finish, I'd really um, like to just ask the benefit of your wisdom here because we are now facing um, a new situation where the 12 to 15 year olds um, are highly likely to be looking at, um, at COVID vaccinations come August, September time in the UK and possibly, well, I think it's happening already in America. Um, and in the UK, we have a, um, uh, we have a legal precedent called Gaelic competence and um, this came about, I, I think, when, the, when a mother lost her case. Uh, it was all to do with um, underage girls wanting to go and um, get contraception without their parents' knowledge. But this legal precedent is being used now to, 
test kids to determine, you know, whether they um, are competent to make their own decisions. And um, and we have heard talk that it's going to be bought, it's going to be used in the UK, um, so that twelve to fifteen year olds can choose something different than their parents would wish. I mean, what's your view of? you know, young minds and everything, do you do you think that they are competent enough to make such potentially life-altering decisions? I personally, um, I, I don't necessarily underestimate them, but they cannot foresee the future. We cannot foresee the future. We do not know what challenges are ahead. I would prefer that parents were able to um, make that decision. I have done that in the past on behalf of my children when they were young. Um, I find, so are children capable to the extent that they haven't got to know their own bodies properly because their own bodies have not actually yet fully developed they don't know what their capacities are yet. No, I would say, yeah, I, I, I would find that very difficult as a parent. I, I have found it very difficult as a parent to watch the way even my grown sons are being coerced into making decisions mm. rather than having free reign. Mm. No, parents, please inform yourself and please support your children to know what's best. So I think that's really what, you know, what it's coming back to is open communication, you know, and um, and, and do, making decisions as a, as a family and listening yeah. and talking. And, um, and again, it's the same as ecological education, isn't it? It's by choice and it's, it's you know, discovery and engagement and, you know, bringing the kids a, along really. Yeah, and 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 should your um, children find themselves um, in a situation where they feel that they're being singled out, then do it by kind of by withholding them from school on that day. Mm. Just get informed about when it's happening um, and make sure that you know they they are able to um refuse it in whatever way they need absolutely if that's their decision and your decision yeah exactly natalie thank you so much you've um i know it's the tip of the iceberg but really what we wanted to do um is with your article and with this interview is just open the door um and um and show parents that there are some really exciting and very positive things happening. And um, we will, you know, we will bring more on this and we'll put all the links underneath. So thank you. Is there anything that you'd like to close with? Um, I, I would just say that, um, yes, parents, get yourself informed about what's out there and then get active in your school. So even within your community schools, start making demands and support the teachers to make demands that they often know what's right for their 
for, for children and, and child and the development of all children. And then lobby your MP to, to get what's right for the next generations. That's wonderful. Thank you very, very much for your time today. Thank you.